Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as we will see, there is no greater way to make peace than to lay your life down for someone else. And so tomorrow, as we celebrate Memorial Day, we remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice for us and for our country. Those men and women who've given their lives so that we and our country might enjoy peace. And so this morning, if you are a friend or family member of someone who's given their life in service to our country, or if you are a veteran or you currently serve in our military and have lost a brother or sister in arms, would you please stand? So let me give God thanks for you and for those who've given their life and sacrifice and for your sacrifice as well. Would you please stand? Let's, pray to, let's praise God together. I want you to know that as we remember their sacrifice tomorrow, we remember yours as well. That the grief that you carry each and every Memorial Day is different than so many of ours. And remember that freedom is not free and it comes with a cost. And we're grateful for the way that we now enjoy peace and freedom because of their sacrifice. And it's with that peace and freedom that I now ask you to stand for reading of God's word. If you've been with us, you know that we're working our way through the Beatitudes as we make our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this is the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We live at a time of human history where we are increasingly devoid of peace. In just these last couple weeks, we have witnessed shootings in Buffalo, New York, Laguna Woods, California, and Uvalde, Texas. And we're left asking, why God? Where is the peace? In just these last couple months, we've seen war and even the threat of global conflict as Russia has invaded Ukraine in ways that we thought would never happen again in our lifetimes. And we're left asking, why? 
And God, where is the peace? In these last couple years, we've seen a global pandemic. We've seen genocide. More slaves on the planet today than have ever existed in human history. Hatred, racism, injustice, political division, great economic uncertainty, and all of these things fill us with fear and anxiety and anger and unrest, and they should, because this is not the way things were supposed to be. We live in a broken and fractured and divided world. And yet it was in this kind of divided world that Jesus spoke these words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now when you and I think of the word peace, we most often think of absence. We think of quiet and stillness and tranquility. We think of the absence of war, the absence of conflict, the absence of fear. But the peace that Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount is not about absence. No, the peace that Jesus calls us to is about presence. Jesus has called us to make peace, the kind of peace that comes with the transforming presence of the kingdom of God. And so this morning, as we continue our way through the Beatitudes, I want us all to see together what it means to be peacemakers as the church of Jesus Christ. And I want us to see why Jesus is the great peacemaker, why he's the prince of peace. So the first thing I want you to see, I want you to see that we make peace when we seek a greater kingdom. I want you to look with me, Matthew 5, verse 9. This is the seventh beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as we've seen throughout our study of the Beatitudes, that each and every Beatitude is deeply connected to the others. That even as we study them individually one at a time, we can't isolate them from one another. Because in order to make peace, we must first realize what it means to be poor in spirit. What it means to mourn and to grieve over our sin and the sin of the world. What it means to be meek. What it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. What it means to be merciful, to be pure in heart. Because only when these things begin to infiltrate our hearts can we begin to really know what it means to make peace in a broken and fractured world. So how do we do that? How do we, as broken people ourselves, when we ourselves are prone to anxiety and fear, when we are divided, not only as a people, but when our own hearts are divided, how can we be peacemakers? Well, the first thing you have to know is that when the Bible talks about peace, it's unlike any other peace that exists in our world. We so often strive after a human peace, but godly peace is altogether different. 
The, the word that the Bible uses for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is not about stillness and quiet and tranquility. No, shalom, the peace that comes with shalom is about action. It's about the reign and rule of God. Shalom exists where God is on his throne and is ruling out of his power and his providence over all things. The peace the Bible talks about is the peace of restoration, the peace of healing, the peace of righting wrongs, the peace of forgiving sins, the peace of healing a broken relationship, the peace that comes when injustices are made right, when divisions are reconciled together, and so when Jesus calls us to make peace, that is the kind of peace he's calling us to. He's calling us as his people to be instruments of his peace, the peace that comes with the kingdom of God. That we would be makers of peace as we enter into this world, not as we avoid it, not as we wall ourselves off and avoid it and try to make peace for ourselves. No, Jesus is calling us to enter into it and to seek the healing and restoration of our world. He's calling us to nothing less than making things right again, back to the way they were in the garden before the fall. That is what it means to be a peacemaker. And again, you say, well, how on earth could we do that? Well, it begins with seeking first the kingdom of God because true peace cannot exist without his reign, his rule, his authority, and his kingship. Jesus would put it this way later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 31. Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? He's saying in the place of anxiety and in the place of fear, seek first the kingdom of God. So here's my question for you and me. Are any of you fearful this morning? Is there anything that you are afraid of? Are you worried? Do you find yourself prone to anxiety? Jesus says, in that place, seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because with the kingdom of God comes real and true peace. Our problem is that we don't seek first the kingdom of God, do we? If you and I are going to be honest this morning, we have to be honest with the fact that we do not seek first the kingdom of God. But we can't just stop there. I want you to begin to wrestle with why do we do that? It's because when we feel anxious and afraid, we take matters into our own hands and we try to seek peace on our own terms. And when we seek peace on our own terms, we are seeking after the kingdoms of men 
rather than the kingdom of God. And when we seek after the kingdoms of men, thinking that they will bring us peace, we move further and further and further away from the kingdom of God. And here's the problem. As we attempt to seek peace on our own terms, seeking after our own kingdoms, we use our own weapons. Weapons that have been forged in human kingdoms. And we're fighting with worldly kingdom weapons, all the while forgetting that we are actually fighting a much greater battle against a much darker enemy. And so our earthly kingdoms will never rescue us, and our worldly weapons will always fail. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verse 12, he said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And we are so tempted to take up worldly weapons after earthly kingdoms. And they fail us over and over and over again. In the middle of World War II, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read The Screwtape Letters, but it's a fictional account of temptation told from the point of view from demons. And what you need to know before I read this passage from The Screwtape Letters is that C.S. Lewis was famously not a pacifist. He fought in World War I, and he believed that World War II was just and necessary. And yet he also understood just how feeble it is to try to achieve peace in human terms. I want you to listen. This is the screw tape letters written from one demon to another. The demon says, consider whether we should make the patient, and that word patient, if you've ever read it, refers to human beings. One demon to another saying, consider whether we should make the patient an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. All extremes are to be encouraged. Not always, of course, but at this period. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our business to soothe them fast asleep. Now remember, this is written in 1944, in the middle of World War II. Listen to what he says next. Other ages, such as the present one, are unbalanced and prone to faction, and it is our business to inflame them. What do we do with that? Because I think we're entering back into an age where perhaps we're not in the middle of a world war, but we are in the midst of worldwide conflict. No longer are we living in an age of apathy, but an age of great unrest and division. And we will be fools not to recognize that Satan wants to inflame us so that we would be tempted to seek after worldly kingdoms with earthly weapons, all the while failing to realize that we are actually fighting a spiritual battle that he alone can win. 
So Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things will be added to you. We can only make peace when we realize that we have been called to a greater kingdom. And how is it that peace is brought into that kingdom? Jesus has already shown us just before the Sermon on the Mount. When Matthew tells us that he began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God, first and foremost, with all of its benefits, brings salvation. The kingdom of God is the good news that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, took on our sin. He died and rose again for our salvation. So while there are many causes and many things that we should devote ourselves and our time to that are attached to the kingdom of God. There is one mission that he has given the church of Jesus Christ, and it is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them what Jesus has commanded us. How do we make peace? We make peace by proclaiming the gospel of peace that only comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the second thing I want you to know, I want you to know that we make peace by becoming children of God. As it is with the other Beatitudes, Jesus says that those who are peacemakers will be blessed. And he tells us what that blessing is. Look with me again, verse nine, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. In other words, if you are a peacemaker, that means you are a child of God. And I want you to understand this morning is that this is one of the greatest promises of the gospel. Because what Jesus is doing is he is a giving the greatest title that he could bestow on us as human beings. That we would be counted as sons and daughters of God. And that identity that transcends every other identity is the very foundation of what it means to be a peacemaker. And you ask, well, why would that be? Well, because you have to know who you were outside of Christ before you became a child of God. In order to be a peacemaker, you must first begin with our story. And our story tells us that outside of Jesus Christ, we are left in our sin. And because of our sin, not only are we immoral, not only are we rule breakers, not only are we unholy and cannot be in the presence of a holy God, but the Bible says that we are enemies. I wonder, have you ever thought of your sin that way? That when you are sinning, just like me, you're committing treason against the king. That when you sin just like me, that you are actually declaring war against God. And that makes you an enemy. But thanks be to God that out of his great love for us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we are enemies. So that we who were once orphans might now be called sons and daughters. The Bible calls that reconciliation. It's a relational term. 
It means that our relationship, because of Jesus' death on the cross, our relationship with God has been healed. You see, outside of Jesus, we do not have peace with God. Because he is just and righteous, we deserve punishment and wrath. We deserve no peace. But God sent his son to die in our place, to rise again in our place so that that peace between us and God would be restored. It is only when you understand that you were once an enemy, that you deserve no peace, that you're at war with God and yet God sent his son to die for you so that you would have peace, that you can understand what it means to be a peacemaker. Apostle Paul put it this way, Romans 5, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If we begin to truly understand what it means to be reconciled to God, to understand that we who were once orphaned enemies are now called sons and daughters only because of Christ, then we understand what it means to be a peacemaker. Because that identity as sons and daughters transcends other, all other identities. It means as we look around the sanctuary at a room like this, we see that we are now bound together, not as just sons and daughters of God, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that transcends every other identity. But not only that, but it transcends beyond this church to every local expression of the church, the capital C church scattered all over the world, transcending race and ethnicity and culture. All sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, all who were once enemies, not only of God, but enemies of one another, now called to be peacemakers because God has made peace with us He's now called us to peace with one another. So what does this look like? Just a few short weeks will mark yet again another anniversary of a shooting. The shooting happened on June 17th, 2015. When a young man named Dylan Roof walked into a Bible study at the historic Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. As he walked in that Wednesday morning, he sat down in a circle. A Bible study was being held, and he sat right next to the pastor. He would later say that they were so welcoming to him, so kind and generous and so hospitable, that he actually thought twice about what he was going to do. He considered for a moment not going through with it. But as the hour unfolded, he became more hostile. And at the end of about an hour, he stood up. And he took out a gun. And he shot every member of that Bible study. Reloading as many as five times. Nine people were killed. Six women and three men. Including the pastor. Their ages ranged from 26 to 87 and every one of them was black. Dylan Roof was later convicted of nine counts of murder and 33 federal charges, including hate crimes. 
And after his verdict was delivered, the court gave the friends and family of the victims an opportunity to address the court and to speak to Dylan Roof. I want you to listen to their words. Felicia Sanders, mother of Taiwanza Sanders, said we welcomed you Wednesday in our Bible study with welcome arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts and I'll never be the same. Taiwanza Sanders was my son. Taiwanza was my hero. But may God have mercy on you. Nadine Collier, daughter of Ethel Lance, said, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me and you hurt a lot of people, but if God can forgive you, I forgive you. Anthony Thompson, husband of Myra Thompson, he said, I would just like him to know, to say the same thing that was just said, I forgive him. And my family forgives him. But we would like him to take this opportunity to repent. And then he looked at Dylan Roof directly. And this is what he said. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters most. Christ. Now it's understandable to hear those words and say, how could they do that? How could they forgive this man who is filled with such hatred? How could a husband look at the murderer of his wife and share the gospel with him so that if he believed, he would be in heaven with his bride? How could he do that? Because they believe in the thing that matters most. Their identity as children of God transcended all other identities. And because they knew deeply the peace and forgiveness that's been offered to them in Jesus, they were able to offer it to someone else. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So the last thing I want to mention is this. The only way that we can make peace in a broken and fractured world is only by the blood of the great peacemaker, Jesus Christ. Today, if you go to Israel and you climb to the top of Mount Megiddo, there you will reach an overlook and it looks out on the Valley of Armageddon. It's the valley where battles were fought in the Old Testament. And the valley where one day the last battle will be fought and peace will be established once for all. But on that overlook today, there is a sign that says this, may peace prevail. Because I think deep down, every one of us knows just how badly we need peace and how desperately we need a peacemaker. And that longing in us is crying out today in ways we haven't known in these last several years. Perhaps we are coming out of an age of apathy where we needed peace then, we just didn't realize to how bad. 
And perhaps we are entering once again into an age of great fracture and division, but with each gunshot and each tear and each pain and each grief and each uncertainty, we were reminded of just how desperately we need peace and how much we need a peacemaker to come for our rescue. It was in that kind of fracture and brokenness and division that God sent a prophet named Isaiah to make this promise. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The Apostle Paul spoke of him this way, the great peacemaker in Colossians 1 verse 15 when he said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and unvisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How is this one who was created before all things, this great peacemaker who was promised, this one through him, all things to hold together. How did he make peace? Paul tells us later in the book of Colossians. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. When the people of God heard Isaiah's promise, they expected a warrior. They expected a liberator, some who would come and bring peace to their nation, Israel. But God didn't send a warrior. He sent a redeemer. He sent his own son, not just for the salvation of Israel, but for the peace of all his people throughout all time and all culture and all space. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the great peacemaker by shedding his own blood as a sacrifice for our sins. And I think deep down, every one of us, as much as we need a peacemaker, we know that the only way to true peace is through sacrifice. It's not through taking up worldly weapons, but it's through taking up the armor of God and taking up our cross and following Jesus to his. Jesus made peace through sacrifice. Yesterday, my family and I went for a walk on the Katy Trail. If you ever see us on the Katy Trail, you need to run far away. We are a danger to everyone. We are not staying in our lane. We are getting in your way. If you know my family, you know that we are all girls, which means we bring our pink and purple scooters and helmets, and there is just, it's like a scooter gang. And we terrorize Katy Trail. It was much worse yesterday. Because if you've been on Katy Trail this weekend, you know that they've posted biographies of men and women who've given their lives in service to our country. And we couldn't hop, help but stop and read every one. And to be humbled and overwhelmed with the sacrifice they made so that we might know something of peace in our country. 
Brothers and sisters, friends, what I want you to see this morning is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be an even greater peacemaker. Because Jesus did not die for his fellow countrymen. Jesus died for his enemies. So as we end, my question for you is, where is your peace? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his blood shed for you, his sacrifice on the cross for you so that you might have peace with God? If you have not placed your faith in him, then you are outside of his peace and you are still his enemy. Place your faith and hope and trust and receive the peace that comes with Christ. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you do know the peace that comes through him, the question for us is what now do we do? How do we become peacemakers in our broken and fallen world? We become peacemakers by taking up our cross, by following Jesus to his rather than taking up worldly weapons and pursuing earthly kingdoms, that we would take up the whole armor of God and that we would wield the sword of the Spirit and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ has come. That we would follow Jesus to the cross, lay down our lives for others. We would follow Jesus to the resurrection, know that his victory is now ours it would follow Jesus knowing that he now is king of kings and lord of lords and that he sits ascended on the throne and one day he will come again to establish peace once and for all. But until that day comes, he's called us to take up our cross and to be peacemakers, to make peace in our broken and fallen world and to bring peace to earth for his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would now enable us by your spirit to be instruments of your peace, to boldly proclaim the peace that is ours in Christ Jesus and to share that peace with the world. May we as your church be peacemakers, and in so being peacemakers, may we be children of God. We ask in your strong and majestic name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.